afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Just traffic update for you. Uh, State Highway 1 Southern Motorway, Auckland. Uh, a crash on State Highway 1 is blocking the left southbound lane adjacent to Dominion Road on-ramp. Do pass right with care and expect delays. And indeed, uh, do take care on the roads this weekend. You can text us any developments so where you are seeing that uh, perhaps you think that we need to know about. Uh, that is, if you are at a standstill and not driving. Today, victims of sexual assault will have greater legal protection with a law change that aims to give children and adults better support in the courts, including giving victims more control around their name suppression and aligning the penalty for child sexual abuse to 20 years in prison. It's also an attempt to prevent victims of abuse from being further abused or further traumatised in the courts. Now, Kirsty Johnson and Stuff wrote today about one example. In the seven years since single mum Veronica, name change, left her violent ex-husband, has been forced to answer, uh, she's been forced to answer more than 100 baseless court claims against her at a cost of a quarter of a million dollars. The family court recognised her ex was violent, controlling and obsessive. With us is victim's advocate Ruth Money. Kia ora, Ruth. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, panel. Yeah, just looking at that, um, and I was actually thinking about about this this afternoon. You know, the, that litigation process, uh, that that just that extraordinary dragging through the cause. That example is quite cruel and quite shocking, isn't it? It sure is, and we've spoken about it on the panel before. Um, certainly, Veronica's case is an extreme, um, but this is happening daily. I have got survivors right now where I think we're up to kind of 16 different applications, minimums of kind of thirty to $50,000 worth of spend. Uh, all you want to do is separate and ideally separate well if there are children involved for the children's sake, but you are constantly re-engaged uh, by your abuser with these kind of frivolous and vexatious applications. And it's it's unsustainable in terms of, you know, your mental health and trauma, but also financially, which is why most people end up having to drop out of the system. I could um, only imagine, Ruth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's um, quite something. Litigation abuse, pay-per-view. It's also called stalking through the courts. And what you've just said there really exemplifies that. Yeah, and it's not just, um, you know, all of the cases where this happens and I'm involved, it's not just actually through the courts because we also yeah. then have um, complaints to the abuser, uh, sorry, the uh, survivor's perhaps employer. So there'll be some false allegations around that. You know, I've got a real estate lady at the moment, the Real Estate Institute, who just keeps getting complaints about her alleged conduct, all of which she's always cleared from. But it just, you know, you go, here we go again. Mm. Um, they, you know, they, they try and access and constantly um, abuse and coercively control their survivors in, in a numerous, numerous ways. Okay, then now a panel will have questions. So on that and what you've just said there, um, how will this um, uh, new bill help? Is it a welcome announcement? Oh, it certainly is a welcome announcement. Um, you know, often, although I work in the criminal court, I am constantly dragged across into the family court because it is such a shambles. Um, and people involved in the family court often, but not always, have proceedings that may also be running along in a criminal court. For example, I've got a 
stalker who's got some criminal charges, but he's also um, against his ex-wife and children. So often there are parenting things going on, there are relationship property things going on, so the separation of assets, cars, debt, those kinds of things, as well as um, a p- potentially a criminal thing. So there are three, if not more, lawyers, etc. involved where a survivor is just constantly, literally every day, answering questions and emails and texts and calls from people trying to navigate her or him through the system. This will hopefully, um, depending on you know the select committee process and yep. what the final bill looks like, this will hopefully enable judges when they see this type of behaviour to say, actually, you know what, mate, enough is enough. These applications are frivolous um, and this ends now. Whereas at the moment, in theory, the ability exists for that to happen, but in practice it doesn't happen because it just doesn't have enough teeth. Uh, I see, yeah, Leonie. Mm. Um, thanks, Ruth, and thanks uh, for all the work that you and you, your team do. Oh, when I read the article, um, what I was just blown away with was the comments about um, someone had written in the article that it seems crazy that currently a child sexual assault victim can be questioned as to whether they consented to sexual activity. And, I mean, that sort of stuff, to me, I can't even believe is, is allowed. Um, so it's obviously good um, that uh, it's looking to change. I was just interested, for, for the people that continue some of these vexatious claims under this new proposed uh, bill, is there will there be penalties, financial penalties, or is there going to be some real teeth um, that the judges can use to stop the behaviour? Yeah, well, that's what we're hoping for. At this point, this is just an announcement. And, right. Um, what I've been saying today, because, of course, I've been overwhelmed with... Um, survivors really happy about this and wanting to be part of this process and that's the beautiful thing about the fact that we live in New Zealand, Aotearoa, we have a, a, kind of a, an ability to submit to select committee processes mm. and help form our laws. So I certainly encourage people to keep their ears and eyes open um, and be part of that mahi to submit to the select committee because yes. absolutely there needs to be, uh, I believe, um, people need to be account. Um, accountable for their behaviour around this, and and I think a deterrence, um, like like mm. you're asking about, um, it's all very well and good to say, oh well, you know, we might shut that process down, mm. but actually the harm financially and from a well-being perspective to people on the way through is significant mm. enough, in my view and experience. Um, that there needs to be deterrence, an actual penalty for this behaviour. Simon Pound. Yeah, because so much, I mean, you, you know, from, from my observation, so much of the justice system uh, can be used by people with more resources to bully and harass people with fewer resources. Oh. And the only people who kind of do well out of it all are the, the, the lawyers in the middle of it. And it's a bit of a, a system that you can't kind of opt out of. It's quite That's nice right. that we don't have this American idea of these massive damages that can be given against people. But do you think that our kind of culture around only giving kind of um, small amounts of damages versus the actual costs that people incur um, is something that helps to exacerbate and keep this going. Yeah, I do. I think the scales certainly need to... I mean, I've got a laundry list. We haven't got long enough on the panel. Wallace can't shut me up normally anyway. (laughs) We certainly have a long list of Ruth's wishes, and one of those is um, to assess all of those because you're quite right. When costs um, are awarded by the court... 
they are so tiny compared to what the cost actually was. Um, financial plus, of course, any, you know, hurt, harm type payments on top of that, that it really doesn't, you know, it deters justice. Um, and you're right, the people who have got the resources and um, invariably in a marriage where, um, a heterosexual marriage where a, a lady has stayed home raising children and a man has um, worked to get some putia and the female may exit and just doesn't end up with those resources to be able to fight someone who has the resources. Um, now that is a very stereotypical answer but actually that's probably 90% of my day. Um, yeah, so you're right. right. It's, it is an observation um, or a correct observation around if you are resourced, you are able to use the system. Because um, I understand, Ruth, that victims don't often qualify for legal aid, so they're left to navigate this uh, complex court system on their own quite often. That's right, and and they just can't. I yeah. mean, they simply can't. You know, I've got people paying anywhere from sixteen hundred up to kind of eight thousand, twelve thousand dollars for a protection order. Gosh. I mean, that's just yeah. insane. Oh, if we were, a, you know, if we were a society who actually valued um, protection, um, whether you are a male or female, what, whatever you are that needs, whoever you are that needs protection, um, why you need to be writing out checks for thousands of dollars is is just beyond me. I've never understood the costs involved in this, this kind of work. Very, very good to uh, have you on. Uh, a bit of response here. As a counsellor, I currently work with someone who is in the family court system and their ex-partner has been allowed to delay both criminal and custody process for two years so far by both objecting to a request at the last minute or simply not replying. This has been allowed mm. by the current system and only benefits the perpetrator whilst significantly impacting my client in so many ways. Thank you for covering this issue. Mm. Extraordinary, isn't it? it, it, it honestly, these, that the, is so common. Right. Yeah, and, and, so, and, and that, these, capped, these capped costs mean that, you know, if, if, if you spend 100000 you can only get 30000 of those costs back. So everyone who has to stick up for themselves ends up having to make a choice to go 70000 in the hole, even if they know that they're right, which means that anyone with more resources is always set up to win. And it's an absolute nonsense of a system. Hey, well, and you can't get legal assistance anyway yeah. because they are so under-resourced. Ruth, kia ora. Thank you for being on the panel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's uh, Victims Advocate Ruth Money there. 18 past four of the panel on RNZ National. We're joined by Leonie Freeman and Simon Powell this afternoon. And as always, great to have you company. Well, you could be losing out if your employer pays your KiwiSaver contributions as part of your total wages. 45%, 45%, almost half employ, half the employers do include KiwiSaver as part of total wages, according to a new survey. survey. So to get our head around the numbers, we have um, Tiara Ahunga, or the Retirement Commission's Director of Policy, Dr. Susie Morrissey. Uh, kia ora, uh, Dr. Morrissey. Uh, good to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me. So this is going to impact quite a few people listening today. So explain this for us. Can you explain what it means for KiwiSaver to be included in your total wages. Sure. So most of us have a number in mind of what we get paid. And generally speaking, the employer KiwiSaver matching, the 3%, that's on top of what we get paid. And the 3% that we put in, or a greater amount if we choose, that's, that's part of our wages. 
But what total REM is, is when the employer's 3% is actually included in that in that number that you've been told about that that's what you're earning. So this means that you're you have less of an incentive to keep contributing to KiwiSafer because normally, you know, the incentive is I contribute and then the employer will put in their 3% as well as an extra for me. Whereas if it's included in the total amount that I'm getting paid, then I'm not getting that incentive. And it matters because people might then choose to not contribute to KiwiSaver oh. and take a, and take a suspension. So that's the important that's the important implication of this. This is interesting, um, isn't it? So wasn't the original idea? Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't the original idea of KiwiSaver is that KiwiSaver goes is that little bit on top of the wages that you get? Yep, absolutely. And the legislation is written that way. So the de- that is the default position. But there is a, an extra in the legislation that allows an employer to take a different approach as long as they undertake good faith bargaining with their employee. So you're right, that is, that is how it's meant to work, but it's not prohibited to take this alternative approach. The question is really whether that good faith bargaining actually happens in all of the cases, and that's why we set out to understand, well, how prevalent is it? Is it very common? Well, how would, we, say, how would I know? How, how mm. would I know if my KiwiSaver is part of my package, quote-unquote, or is actually the bit on top? Because you can calculate You'd have to look at your contract. So your pay slip probably won't reveal those details for you, but your contract will. All right, Leonie. Yeah, what, what, what I was just wondering is what about when you've got um, – because often it's about comparison with others. So what happens if you've got somebody who's in KiwiSaver and somebody who isn't in KiwiSaver, but they're doing the same job and should earn the same amount? Yeah, so this is this is the um, this is the incentive part, right? So if you are both getting paid, you know, X dollars, and the KiwiSaver employer contribution would be on top, then you'd both be earning the same amount. One of you would be taking home less because you'd be making your own 3% or more KiwiSaver contribution, but you'd also be getting that employer contribution. So your overall amount would be actually a greater amount than the person that was sitting next to you who was who had decided, no, I'm not going to contribute to KiwiSaver. I'm going to take a suspension because of this. And they would just take their regular take-home pay. All right, Simon Pound. Yeah, it's so funny, these things, hey, because it's kind of like the government will come out and say, oh, we're doing our bit to help solve people's retirement things. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask employers or tell employers to pay an extra 3% on top of what they pay people. Job done. You know? And so it's just like the same way that the government will come out and say, we're we're so great because we've doubled sick leave. But they haven't actually made any allowance for employers or any kind of way to carve back any of that cash. They've just said, employers, you now have to provide twice as many sick days. And like these things are really good things, right? Retirement savings and extra sick days. But if you're not actually funding them, it's pretty funny to take all of the credit for it if you're not providing (laughs) any way to pay for it. And so I have some sympathy for some employers if they might be going, well, your total REM is 100k plus 3,000 because that's what comes out of their pockets and that's the benefit that goes to their employer. Uh, employee. Um, and, and maybe in some cases they may be doing it um, to be mean-minded, but in other cases it may just be that's the way that it looks because 
in reality, that is the total REM that goes from an employer to an employee. Right. Mm. And I wonder too, sometimes it's about looking at the total package that somebody's paid. You know, so some people get paid a, a set amount of money. Um, there might be KiwiSaver contribution on top. There might be uh, extra leave. There might be training allowances. There might be a car park. So, um, you know, there's often more than just the KiwiSaver as part of somebody's whole package. Susie? That's absolutely right. Uh, the key really is just ensuring that employees know what's going on. So yes, it's that's really the main amazing. thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's just checking checking a proposal that you're offered when you're at that job offer stage, just really understanding what you're getting and asking questions. Mm. Yeah. Now, um, so what's any any changes that need to be made? Would, would do you think? Would you advocate any uh, tweaks or changes? Yeah, well, for us, you know, the retirement savings are obviously a key thing that we're looking to um, support people to do. And this matching was designed to be the, the best incentive for employees to, to do this. So from the Retirement Commission's perspective, we, we prefer the default approach. We would rather not have um, this option of using it as total REM. And we did uh, make that suggestion to government, actually, in the 2019 review of retirement income policies. Mm. I just While we're here talking about KiwiSaver, worth acknowledging that, um, by and large, because we're talking about this in the office, Susie, by and large, it's you, you could pretty much call it a success, couldn't you? I mean, mm. um, many of us in the office who um, might not have had any savings mm. at all um, – suddenly, well not suddenly, but over time, has quite a lot of money banked up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 96% of the working age population have, are members of KiwiSaver. So it's very popular. Lots of us have signed up. And, and I guess the, the thing about KiwiSaver and saving over your working life, if that's the way to describe it, is you can save a little, but often and over time with compounding, it turns into a bigger sum at the end when we need it, when we're retired. So it is a really good way to support supplement New Zealand Super. Okay, very good. Dr. Susie Morrissey there. Thank you uh, from Te Ara Ahunga Ora Retirement Commission's Director uh, who's the, she's the Director of Policy. Um, what about you Simon because I, uh, pre-KiwiSaver, I was not a particularly good saver you know, uh, a few hundred dollars here and there but uh, you know once it uh, was part of your wages um, then it just um, it was just there by default. Oh, it's such a fantastic thing for the economy. And, you know, one of the big, you know, the people's personal, but also the general economy, like one of the big reasons that Australia has such a more healthy and vibrant economy is that they got into a, um, you know, compulsory superannuation savings scheme, you know, decades ago. earlier. Mm -hmm. Decades earlier, and so they've got these enormous pools of capital to help to make all kinds of interesting things happen there. And so we're starting to see that effect in New Zealand with, you know, cool operators like Simplicity doing really interesting things with retirement savings. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just no. been a fantastic. Now, success. by the way, um, uh, clarification here because I mentioned a, a state a, a crash on State Highway One uh, bl- was blocking the left southbound lane adjacent to the Dominion Road on ramp, uh, and people were saying, "Where's that? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's isn't it supposed to be State Highway 20? Twenty? Well, I was just reading what was on the Waka Kotahi Twitter site, and they acknowledge that they've uh, had it wrong. So I think that's changed. It's State Highway 20. So kia ora. Thank you for those clarifications. 27 past four, the panel on RNZ National. I want to see change. 
says the Broadcasting Minister, Willie Jackson, as he lines up on TVNZ reports Shane Curry in the New Zealand Herald, and that there are no sacred cows. He says that identity now stretches even to this show. Well, haha, I tell you what, heaven forbid if anyone remotely touches Country Calendar, one of the most popular shows on TV for absolutely decades, although I did say, what about replacing Country Calendar with Auckland Calendar? (laughs) You didn't like it. You didn't like it at all, but I said you can go and see the Sky Tower, um, St. Helier's Bay Beach, Tor Bay, find out what's there. Where where is it? Uh, But one person says, I quite like your idea, Wallace. Auckland calendar, very common in Japan, these types of ideas. Usually some kind of celeb visits local restaurants, attractions. They meet the characters of the place, and it really affirms local culture and national identity. Are people poo-pooing at Wallace? Well, well done. They might think again. Thank you. (laughs) Round the panel uh, on this, is there a show or type of show that you think uh, we are missing, Leonie Freeman? Well, in terms of what are we missing, I I suppose to me, I I don't think it's any harm for people to say, look, we should, um, you know, review what we're currently doing. Um, I I don't think there's any chance of letting Country Calendar go. Um, But, you know, if I look at, say, for example, Radio New Zealand, because we're sitting here in the studio today Mm -hmm. and the change that's happened there over the last, uh, what, two or three years with the podcasts and the different shows and programs, I mean, they had a mandate to to do that. And um, if you look at the shows that are covered, they are extensive around all different parts of New Zealand society, culture, ethnic groups, different types of stories, history, current, future. What you're talking about, RNZ podcast. RNZ podcast. Okay. Yeah, so you know, to me that was that's been a really good example of having a real look and rethink and then looking at our community and saying how do we how do we support our whole community um, with a whole range of different programs? Um, so I think, you know, but but then TVNZ's probably got to get clear about, you know, what is its purpose? How does it fit yep. with all the other the social media, you know, it's that how much money do they have to Will, make versus Willie Jackson said, uh, quoting, Can we get the balance right? Obviously, they've got to make a buck. We all get that, but can we just balance it a bit more? I want to see and hear a New Zealand identity. And for me, despite what critics might be saying, it's more than just about Māori. And Jackson went on to say, Great show, calen- country calendar. Yeah. But our New Zealand identity, with respect, is much more than that now. Yeah. Simon Pound. Yeah, well, Country Calendar is the best rating publicly funded show on TV by a long shot. You know, 530,000 people tuned into it last week on TV NZ1, uh, which is quite remarkable because mm. I think the biggest issue isn't necessarily, you know, whether TVNZ is keeping up with the times with its content, but whether the idea of a TVNZ is keeping up uh, with the times. Like, if you look at the way that people consume media, they're watching it through... Uh, a number of platforms, you know, your YouTube and your Netflix. And, um, you, you know, if you look at that list, TVNZ is actually through the through whatever channels it has is quite far down the list. And yeah. so mm. I think that the way well, that New Zealand On Air is looking at things about making content and then putting it where people are yeah. is a really good Well, way according to, to the panel family, across the country, you know what we're missing, Leone? Do you know what we're missing, Simon? No. We're missing gardening. They all want gardening. Where's your Maggie Barry? Where's Maggie Barry when we need her? 
But you've had the reality. Where's Jim Moore's mucking in? Where's Maggie yeah. Barry's going? Yeah. You know, where's our version of Monty Don? I would love that. <laughs> Who's New Zealand's version of Monty Don? That's what we need, don't we, Leonie? I don't know who Monty Don is, so oh, that, that I, mu- I must be showing my ignorance sake. around gardening. But, um, you know, there, there have been some, some good shows like that and, and positive ones. You know, things like Fair Go. I mean, It's it, not gardening. No, it's not gardening, but that's a store, another stalwart show no. of New Zealand. That's just... No, no, no. no. Kept... We, we want gardening. We want gardening. <laughs> what type of gardening would you like uh, on TVNZ? Text me, 2101. Uh, Power Battle Friday very shortly, but for now... <laughs> Time for headlines.